Welcome back. Well, welcome back. I beat you. We should it. talk over each other. Okay. It's like the movie. Yeah, that, I mean, yeah, well, you know, exactly. that's, that's right. how it works. You yeah, know, we, I mean, we have to just do the film. Life, they, they yes. They do these things in real life. Yes, we, but we have that's to do the talk. film thing right okay, now. We'll okay, we'll do the film thing. All right. All right. You just heard us try to enact a Robert Altman movie. <laughs> you didn't really think, you didn't really get that I was doing that. No, thing. I knew. All right, I was just being an ass. I was <laughs> actually, it's funny. Uh, I don't know if you saw when Robert Altman got the honorary Oscar. Like Lily Tomlin and I forget who the other woman was. Like they came out on stage and did a really bad riff like that. Oh, like they no. were doing the talking over each other to be all you know cutesy and. You so know. you decided to reenact that moment of awkwardness. I thought I could do it better. <laughs> so right, we're talking anyway. about nashville directed okay. by robert altman yes the one and only nashville uh from 1975 um and this is uh another one of our list movies i gave this to andrew and uh in about another 15 minutes i'll talk about a movie that andrew gave to me to watch um and uh yeah so nashville all right. Is this your first Altman movie? I have seen MASH. Okay. Um, I think, though, uh, it's really important to consider the opening credits of this film. You remember the, the opening of this film, right? It, well, I watched the movie again. It's a record uh, commercial. Yeah, it's basically like an infomercial for a record. And it's like songs are playing, people are talking, and they're saying the cast of the film. Yes. I And <laughs> in, in a way that basically mirrors the dialogue in this entire film. Mm. And, I and I'm like, wow, this opening credit sequence has really got me. Let's see how where it goes from here. So, um, yeah, but I, yeah, what, what was funny about that too was the whole reason the movie got made initially was because the producer Jerry Weintraub had the thought that you know if you make a soundtrack for a movie that will actually sa- sell even more than the movie itself. So he kind of started from the point of, all right, I want to do like a country music movie, huh. and we'll have all this country music, you know, from Nashville, and uh, you know that will happen. But Robert Altman kind of decided, all right, I, you know, well, I'm sure we'll have the music, but if if I get to do the movie any way that I want, I want it to just be about America. Oh <laughs> yeah, this is kind of like what the crux of the movie is, I think. Right? I, I, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's from also the other thing is right after the com- the, the the opening commercial, the next thing that you see is a van for uh, a politician uh, coming out to start its day driving around uh, Nashville. Right, with the longest 
speech ever yes. written for a van dr- driving <laughs> through the city streets. Like, uh, no one person has probably heard more than 30 seconds of this speech. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, d- absolutely. But after a while, it disappeared in the middle of the film, and I started to miss it. Um, it kind of <laughs> popped up here and there. The interesting thing, too, though, is that the politician is never on screen. Oh, no. Even by the end of the movie, which is technically a rally for that politician, he's not there. Right. Uh, and if he was there, he maybe he doesn't show up because of the end, uh, the, what, happens what happens at the end. At the end. But we'll right. get to that. Um, so I from, guess... the, from the beginning, though, when you talk about making a statement about America, it really one of the things that seems really obvious is use of race. Interesting. Like, because you, uh, it's t- the first speaking parts, basically, aside from this uh, campaign van, yeah. uh, are these two different recording studios. Yes. Where. Yeah, yeah. The first one is with Henry Gibson doing the 200 Years song. Right. Which is all which about is... The, 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 the legacy of our country as we're hitting our bicentennial. Right. Which is part of a, a genre of country music that I hate patriotic exploitation. <laughs> Patriot exploitation. Oh yeah, you have oh. you have not heard country music lately. <laughs> no, well, no, no. Well, it's funny that that the movie doesn't have that much of that at least throughout the whole movie. No. but that that is kind of what country music is mostly of like that shit that Toby Keith and and in the 1970s country music had had a certain decadence to it yeah where you know until like until like uh, Buck Owens comes along and makes the sort of spare sort of Bakersfield field sound yeah it's this these very big like you know backup choir vocals and these sort of uh indulgent songs that uh, there's just a kind of a weird style to it, yeah, that, and that just keeps circling in on itself like a snake eating its own tail. Yeah, I think that for me, it's it's funny with this movie that I um I've only seen this movie once before, uh, and I loved it when I watched it, but I think that seeing it again, I was sort of reminded that the reason I haven't watched this movie a bunch of times, I think, is because of the music, and yet if I have to, because I'm not a huge country music guy. If I have to listen to country music, though, this movie has re- some really terrific country music. Oh, yeah, and a lot of the music is really good. I mean, you can... Uh, yeah, you don't have to be a fan to in- to appreciate uh, what a lot of the, the people in this movie are doing. Yeah. Um, especially, and uh, of course, probably, even though it's an, an Altman ensemble, the closest that we kind of get to uh, a main character, I think, is Barbara Jean. Uh, played by Ronnie Blakely. She's the one that, you know, comes in with a lot of fanfare. Yeah. And, you know, she gets, like, the big uh, press, you know, the press people are all there to see her arrive, and then she faints yeah. uh, or passes out. I guess, um, yeah, I guess she's, she's, I guess she is the main character, but we do have to talk about the fact that there are tons of characters oh, There's so many and, and so many actors, I mean... Yeah, I mean, let's run down a list of some of the people who show let's up Let's talk here. about, like, the little ca- cameos. Like, Elliot Gould shows up as himself. Well, Elliot and Gould so does and, Ju- Julie and Julie Christie. As, like, favors to Altman. Right. Probably. And oh, then... Oh, Jeff Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum doing magic My tricks. My favorite. He pops up... <laughs> he's, like, one of the things that makes the movie magical to me. Because he doesn't... I don't think he has a line of dialogue. He keeps no. riding around on an Easy Rider motorcycle with giant 
yellow sunglasses. Right, and he never says anything, and he like, and he tries to impress people with magic tricks. I, I I didn't really notice the magic tricks so much. He would just kind of pop in and out of scenes. Right. Um. But also, uh, uh, Sh- uh Shelley Duvall. Shelley Duvall. I almost said Shelley Winters. Who is like Shelley Duvall as this as this teenager. Yes. Um. And then Geraldine Chaplin. Hmm. Who's she? She's the BBC reporter. Oh, Opal. Yes, yeah. yes, that's right. Yeah, she. Well, she's has a pretty big role, and it's funny because the writer of the movie, that was kind of like what she was doing. Like Altman, kind of. I think she originally went herself to try to find out information about Nashville, and so she would just go around asking people questions with a tape recorder. Hmm. Like she didn't really go around talking to herself that much, but she did do that sort of <laughs> method of like like this character does. Um, and so I kind of like that Altman used that in the movie, that that's a character. Yeah. And, uh, Keenan Wynn is also in there in a small part. Oh, yeah, part. yeah. I, man, he has a really cool, like, interesting part, because he's, you know, he's there to be dramatic. Like, he's there to really yeah. be, like, uh, an older person, where this movie has a lot of young people in it, so to speak. Right. Um, and then, of course, Henry Gibson, as I mentioned, who's the... Ned Beatty. Ned, oh, Ned Bay's great. Scott Glenn. Karen Black. He, he's in it, too. Scott, uh, um, Michael Murphy. Uh, Lily Tomlin. And, of course, you know, Keith Carradine. Right. You know, is, uh, Wh- who got, whose song became a hit single because of this movie. Well, I think he got I, I guess, a, uh, let, let me, if I'm, if I'm mistaken, let me just check here. And it's a good song. Um, he won an Oscar. Wow. For I'm Easy, which I think is I could be wrong, but I think that might be the only Oscar that a Robert Altman film won. I, I might be told. No, 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 no. A match won for best screenplay. Oh yeah. Um, which is kind of funny because the screenwriter and Altman hated each other on Mash. Right. Like, but then he won the Oscar. So anyway, so this movie though it has a ton of great music, but yeah, so many personalities that it, it can be kind of hard to keep track of all of them. Right, um, and that's the thing. I mean, there get to be so many characters that I realized eventually that I had no idea who anybody's names were. But the, but the cool thing, though, is you might kind of forget about somebody, but then Altman will bring them back. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, hi, there you are. You don't remember their names, but you like you see these people and you're like, oh, that's that character. It, it literally gives you And that's why of, right now I can't tell you the names of a lot of the people I saw in this movie. No, I don't think the names so much matter. It's more about... Oh, hey, Lily Tomlin, there you are. Right. And uh, But you remember the relationships, though, as the movie goes on. Like, when Lily Tomlin starts to get kind of tempted by, you know, Keith Carradine, like, he calls her up and says, hey, you want to come to the show tonight? And, you know, there's right. that kind of long shot on her where, you know, she's a little bit pensive. She's not sure what to do. But that has set up. Right. Because she has a clearly strained marriage with Ned Beatty. Mm-hmm. And... Also, a nice detail, by the way, with that, the, the deaf kids yeah, who are their children. That's one of those touches that, you know, like, uh, today a producer would probably look at that and go, well, why are they deaf? Well, why, why yeah, is there happening? is no reason for them to be deaf. But they but they are. Like, they're, yeah. it kind of shows, in a, if nothing else, that Lily Tomlin is really taking care of these kids, while Ned Beatty's just like, I'm going to make my heart boiled egg. Yeah. And be Ned Beatty. <laughs> Wee! Inappropriate. Wee! Ned Beatty's never going to get away from that. All right. He's dead now. So here's the thing. <laughs> He's never going to get away from that. Uh, uh, yeah, here's, but, well, right, here's, so what, what, what do you think of this movie? All right. 
I was thinking, this was a thought I had very early on, about the time that What's-Her-Name landed at the airport and was talking to the camp. Barbara Jean. Right, Barbara Jean. Uh, I, I thought of a subtitle for the for this film. It's, it should be called Nashville. America is weird. <laughs> America is weird and then because everyone, uh, a little dangerous. Yeah, because everyone is... Uh, there are these weird... There are like a lot of these... I talked. I, I mentioned earlier that a lot. There's this this running commentary on race, where a little bit, yeah. And there's also another black like, character who comes in and out here and there. Right, right. but none of the none of the uh, record producers or stars are black. Uh, a lot, mm. uh, any of the black stars you see are basically warm up acts for the for the headliners. Although you wonder that, or they're background singers. Yeah, I mean, and, or they're waiters in the diners, or uh, I feel like there was one black country act aside from the. Well, yeah, but he, every time there was a there was a there was a, a black man was the country act. He was before the bigger stars. Oh, okay, yeah, That's what, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the guy who's on stage before Henry Gibson. Right. Exactly. That too. Yeah. Uh, and that, but then like, there's this whole big fuss about. Uh, Barbara, what's her name again? Barbara Jean. Barbara Jean coming well, back from from this burn hospital. Yeah, well, she, where, she's really not well. You no, kind of get the sense. But, but but then it's like, oh, the country star's coming back. Let's have a marching band and baton twirlers. And there's and there's this weird obsession with celebrity, which is pretty much that's still a, that's how things are part, in America. That's a big part of the movie too. That's a huge part of this movie. I think Robert Altman kind of wants to show in a way that celebrities or the new like kind of kings and queens and stuff like that mm. and yet to me one of the big scenes of this movie is when barbara jean is you know she kind of comes back and she's doing this performance in front of this crowd outside oh, yeah and she does two songs and she actually is really good yeah That's she's the great thing. she's great but then she and starts then... talking Yes, and she doesn't stop, and I wrote she's just rambling. Yeah. And, and, and I had my hands on my face like this, like, oh my god! I wrote down. Oh. I wrote down in my notes, she's malfunctioning. <laughs> Her mind is going. I can yeah. feel it. Oh, well, talk about oh, such a cringy scene, man. Because yeah. you feel you feel genuinely bad. If they had, if Robert Altman had just gone into her rambling, that'd be one thing. But it was because she had done these two songs and performed them so well that I don't know. For me, I just felt so bad for her. Oh yeah. And then, you know, at the same time, her husband, uh, Alan Garfield, who's also kind of her manager, is a total jerk. Right. He's like a total asshole. Um. But yeah, a lot of funny moments that are just really odd. Some of them having to do with that reporter. Like, what do you think <laughs> yes. of that scene where he, she just shows up to the 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 whole yard of buses? Oh, and the one with the junkyard? Yeah. Geraldine Chaplin? She's just, like, walking and kind of, she's doing her talk into her microphone for the, quote, BBC. Yeah. Which you wonder if, that's a, if she's really there to do a BBC broadcast. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. It's but it, but it still is a yeah. lot of fun. All right, well, let's let's talk about the ending though because we don't have so much time left. Um, I, this time watching the movie, I, I don't know why, but I uh, when uh, oh god, what was who sang the song? Uh, you didn't write down the name, did you? Why no, it's it's that one character who keeps trying yeah. to get on stage everywhere she goes, trying to sing. 
She's uh, I don't character. I don't know if she ever gets a name, but um, she's she's like this aspiring country singer. Oh, Barbara who's... Harris. Right. Barbara Harris's character, she doesn't she doesn't do anything. She's kind of popping in and out throughout the movie, not really saying much. But, but she's always after... trying to get backstage to sing. Yeah, but then Barbara Jean gets shot by the guy that looks like Stephen King. Yeah. And it doesn't look like Stephen King. He looks like Stephen King. It's really it kind of creeped me out in this movie. Um <laughs> And then, of course, the way that Stephen King is, went back in time to assassinate the person who would give birth to future Hitler, like like eleven twenty two sixty three, or not really All sure. Right. But the point give is, give me your Stephen King references. I don't get that was a book that he wrote. That was just uh, about going back in time. Books are terrible. JFK. Anyway, all right. So Barbara Harris starts to sing. It don't worry me. Right. Uh, I it really got to me. I started to like cry. It's just because uh, you feel like so much like she's trying to hold stuff to like everything's been shattered hmm. in this one moment. And oh, yeah, it's still kind of weird, but it's kind of heartbreaking, you know, because this is the kind of thing that I feel like this is still happening now. Yeah. You know, people getting gunned down for no reason. I mean, especially now it's it's a lot more poignant. I mean, it's. Uh, All right. So I don't know. What do you think of that, though? The ending. I, I pretty much knew at the end from from what I knew about the film that somebody was gonna sh- get shot. I didn't know it was gonna it was gonna be uh, who it was. Yeah. Uh, but but I still uh, but I was still kind of perplexed by it because it didn't make much sense in within the narrative. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm still gonna ask myself this question: Why did that? Why did Stephen King shoot shoot uh, shoot the country star who's on the stage? Yeah. For no apparent reason. Well, that's it, but that's something that happened, though. I mean, uh, you know, why did the why did that guy shoot George Wallace? In yeah, nineteen seventy-two. Yeah, you know, people don't know. Some people just the people you don't expect. Like, uh, yeah. so final thoughts because I, I, we've kind of we're we're running out of time. I think this is another one of those films that deserves a cinema immersion tank, even though it is pretty long. You need a few more viewings of this, even though yeah, it is a long movie, but. Oh, one more thing. I, one more thought. All right, thought have, I want to give it to you. Have Fifteen seconds. Okay, it's a film that it has a plot, but it takes a long time getting there because it's just very gradual. Plot points are revealed through actions, mm-hmm. uh, through very little word, very few words, and in very roundabout ways in conversation. It's not like said, "Oh, she hates her," and but uh, these things come out in very different ways. Uh, yeah. Uh, Nashville. And uh, make sure to get the soundtrack. There are a lot of great songs in that movie. Yeah. I like the other song that that Keith Carradine did in it with the trio. Yeah, that was a good song. Yeah. All right. So, let's go on to a movie. Yeah. <laughs> now, you said you had a lot to talk about with this I, one. I can't, well, I have a few things to ask about. All uh, right. Well, first well of all, then, start off. why don't you introduce the film? Okay. All right, this movie that Andrew gave to me is called Pacific Heights, and we have another movie with a uh, a place, uh, not the same city though. Uh, this is San Francisco that this movie takes place in, which uh, you kind of know right off the bat because there are a few establishing shots. Which uh, I mean, I had I was watching the movie with Corey, and I made a couple of uh, jokes from the room. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. Oh, um, man. Okay, I could... so all right, what, this movie is about, um, well, first of all, Matthew Modine and uh, Melanie Griffith are this couple who... Drake and Patty. 
their characters' names. Thank you, Drake and Patty. They they move into this uh, very nice house um, on the corner, and their whole mission is they are going to be the landlords, and they are going to fix it up and uh, rent out the rooms. They're going to rent out the rooms, and they're going to have this nice little place that they can call home, and uh, it'll be really nice that they can and they'll maybe start a family. Right. Um, their enter, boyfriend and girlfriend, not yeah, married. Not not married, no. Enter in Mr. Carter Hayes, played by Michael Keaton. Right. Um, now, Michael Keaton uh, is... He's introduced in the movie in a kind of strange way. He's in, like, the first scene um, where he is with, like, this woman. Um, Bel- Beverly D'Angelo is in it. Right. And these two guys just break... Like, there's nothing in this apartment that he's in just a mattress and these two guys come in and beat the crap out of Michael Keaton. Right. And that's all you know about him. And then what happens is he shows up at this, uh, at this house while the couple's looking for rent, which by the way, of course, if they just got the black guy with actually, Hey man, we have a connection there between two movies, black people. Well, black people being marginalized. Okay. That worked. Okay. Anyway, so Carter Hayes, you know, sh- shows off a $100 bill, says he wants the place right away. He's going to do a wire transfer for some money uh, for the entire down payment of $7,500. Uh, to a couple days later, there's no wire transfer. Right. He, he uh, basically a total he, bunk. He worms himself, himself, he worms into, himself into the apartment and proceeds to drive the landlords crazy. Um, he gaslights them. In a ma- yeah, in a matter of speaking, he kind of does. Um, and at so first, this, uh, so this is basically the plot. Michael yeah, Keaton, Michael because, Keaton is basically the playing super sinister against uh, super uppity Matthew Modine and kind of frantic Melanie Griffith, who right. don't know what to do because all the laws are against them. They can't find a way legally to throw them out to throw them out. Okay. Uh, now, all right. Here, this movie is ridiculous. All right. This explain. movie is. It has entertainment value. I was entertained watching this movie. I should put that up front, first of all. Right. Okay. But it has characters, or at least the male leads, who are either unlikable and or kind of underdeveloped to me. Like, I mean, Matthew Modine, I thought, was kind of miscast, maybe. Or maybe the character was just not written well enough. He was just very... um, uh, I don't know. He's just super shrill and very like that's my Matthew Modine imitation. I couldn't tell if the part was now. What just about crummy. Melanie Griffith? She's fine. She actually does a pretty good job. I okay, thought. so then what about the big the uh, big Michael show, Keaton, Michael Keaton? I mean, he you know he's Michael Keaton. He's dark and mysterious. He's kind of pulling a little bit of his dark Bruce Wayne self or whatever mm-hmm. Batman, but I. I wanted to know a little bit more about him before he, or or at least for the character to show a little bit more of who he was before he immediately goes into complete fuckery mode with these characters, <laughs> so to speak. Like, right away, you know, the mind games start immediately, and that to me was part of the problem with the story. Like, if the screener took a little bit of time to develop this man as a threat, to maybe make him interesting... To maybe show, like, you know, a little more gradualness. This movie immediately jumps into, 
you know, I'm a really nasty fella. I'm here in my car just staring at you in the garage. <laughs> you remember that scene, right? Yeah. Um, and it, so, is, it, it is more or less purposeless in, it, in the entire narrative. It's just basically supposed to be like, he's watching her. Is he going to bury the axe in her head or something like yeah, that? But it's, it's, but it's, just, not, it's not that kind of movie, though. Uh, but, yeah, I... I, it's it's not one for subtlety. This movie. Okay, so let's get to the characters because here's something that yeah, I cause really because I'm, I'm wondering why you asked me to watch this movie. Okay, well here's because I didn't think it was here's a something very I noticed. Good movie. Have you seen the American remake of Funny Games? Yeah. Okay, so who plays the couple in that? Uh, Naomi Watts and Tim Roth. Okay. When I watched, uh, I watched Funny Games the first the remake, and then I watched the original. I never not seen the original. All right, the original is in. I think isn't it's, it kind of a carbon copy? Yeah, it's they're more or the less the part. same movie. But here's the main difference, which is really interesting. The couple is played by a, a bunch of average-looking people. Okay. Yeah, uh, you know they they don't look like movie stars, which Tim Roth and Naomi Watts do. Yeah. Uh, so, but I felt a strange sort of better. But I felt uh, more attached to the the original couple okay. because they just seemed like regular people, not like Hollywood people. Okay, that's a good point. And meanwhile, T- Tim Roth and Naomi Watts—they're just like movie stars and the the most beautiful people in the world. And it seems kind well, of Naomi phony Watts. In a way. I mean, Tim Roth. I mean, not that there's kinda... anything wrong with either of those actors. It's just yeah, Naomi Watts is great. It's not that they—it's—they just really oh. don't seem like regular people, especially if you compare that's a, that's them. That's an now, interesting point. I, I felt uh, now with Matthew Modine and. Melanie Griffith. Melanie Griffith. Well, Melanie Griffith is beautiful. Yeah, but they seem to like normal people, and they seem really naive, which gets on my nerves. <laughs> they get on my nerves. Well, yeah, they, and, they, they and here's, what they here's what they do. Here's what they do. They buy a super expensive building, mm-hmm. and they are on a tightrope because they have to keep getting the yeah. rent check in yeah. order to cover their mortgage. Yeah. And if they miss one payment, they're screwed. And, also and they're just they... like, oh, we'll just get along because we'll be, it'll be fine. Everything will turn out okay. And you're like, no, that that's not how it works out, you idiots. <laughs> and then, so, okay, they're already in a precarious situation. Then comes in Carter Hayes. Yes. Who is the worst possible thing that could happen to them. Yeah. And it's, and it, and it's, and he is so much smarter than they are. Yeah. And he knows exactly what to do. And he has, and even though he's going to ruin them, mm-hmm. he doesn't want to hurt them. At least not physically. I don't know about that. No, but like, he doesn't he really does, care either way. Well, yeah, but he does, he's not out to, he's not out to basically beat them to a pulp or anything. He shoots Matthew Modine, he's but just basically after, well, as, just, well, he's just after the money. He's, yeah. You, and, 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 and there's the, the police detective says, this was not personal. Don't don't go after him and make it personal. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I, I think that that was part of the problem for me in the movie. Matthew Modine is such an idiot. Oh, yeah, like, he's Matthew, an idiot. Like, Melanie Griffith at least has some sense. She has she, some sense, but she's still she, but she's still super naive. Mm-hmm. Matthew Modine, he's trying to be all he, masculine well, and, and, and try, to, try to provide. And yeah. he's... And he's blinded by where... his inexperience and by and by his masculinity. That one scene where the the car is taken apart in his in his garage. Isn't that when he's like, I want him out of here. Yeah, yeah. Oh <laughs> and, God, I was laughing. And, when and he I was loses his temper, that. and it's just like you know, it, it, he truly has no idea what he's up against. Yeah. And so they suffer so much that by the 
that by the middle of the movie, when they, when you know everything seems worse and Carter Hayes finally leaves, you you finally get this idea of all right, you you've been naive and I didn't like you, and now you've suffered a lot. Now I'm rooting for you. Go get him. Well, the third act I thought was better. Yes. Than as than the first two because yeah the prover- the the tables are turned right a little bit more. You know, and you know, and Griffith and Keaton are, I think are, are excellent in the movie. I mean, Keaton eventually, when you do find out a little bit more about him, it's kind of interesting. But again, I don't know. I guess it's, it just comes down more to about. But characters. let's but let's talk about Carter Hazel. I mean, that's not even his real name, but we're gonna no, go no, with no, no, that. no. That, that's his sort of fake name. That that's he's one given. of several aliases. I mean, his whole plot is again. He's trying to he's, get this house. He's trying to get the house, state. so he, he's he running a scam, so he and can then he can buy it. Right. He, he's basically one of these super rich guys, but he's fallen out with his family. Right. And and he's and again, it's not personal for him. He just wants the house. He's going to ruin their lives. But again, but he has, in a way, I felt like. Remember when I was talking about Ellen Page in Hard Candy? Yeah. I said I didn't really like her because she didn't really have. Or at least this was the way I felt. I didn't like her because she was villainous, but she didn't have this sort of code. Yeah. She didn't have, you know, she had no rules. Yeah. I felt like Carter Hayes had some sort of rules. Like, this is what I'm going to do, and this is the scope of what I'm going to do. It's yeah. not personal, and I'm not going to hurt you. Again, that, 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 that's fine. I just wish that there was a little bit more development with him, because I didn't really... I don't feel like the movie gave me enough to fully know if he would go for the personal or not. I mean, eventually, of course, by the end of the movie, it turns into kind of like a, you know, a total, like, bloodbath, like, basic, like, fatal attraction or something. Um, um, but that's only the last five no, minutes. No, but I... um No, no, like I said, I think that the last act does get better just because now you're seeing the characters pro- being proactive. You see Melanie Griffith really doing something. Yeah. Um, and I just, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, there, there are a lot of logical questions for me. Like this kind of was like this movie as I, I wrote my review. This movie takes place in planet movie land where, uh, <laughs> scene after scene, it's just so many questions raised and that you have to kind of accept laws that, you know, you have to wonder, is this how it really would be? Can't you take this guy to people's court? You know, <laughs> it's like, is this how leases work? You know, I mean, um, I, I don't I, But know. you don't know. Well, it got clear once the sort of divide, foreclose, and conquer thing came up. But there was right. almost a period where I was wondering, all right, what is his plan here? Yeah. What is Carter Hayes doing? As I was watching again, I, I, I tried to think, I tried to remember, okay, why is he why is he going to this house again? Yeah. And then I, oh, oh it's it's a money scheme. But they could have, but, you know, they could have made the whole thing worse by having Michael, Michael Keaton being like a complete... I think the thing about this movie that came to my mind while I was watching it, I had recently seen, I had talked about this movie called The Gift, which had yeah. uh, Jason Bateman and uh, Joel Edgerton. Right. That's another movie that involves this, hap- this happily together couple, um, and they move into this new house, and this guy starts uh, screwing with their lives. Right. Um, that, like, I was just thinking about how, how much better that kind of movie was that Pacific Heights was maybe trying to be, but it was just kind of stupid. Right. Um, where you have actually, you, you develop the characters enough ahead of time and then you get to put them through hell. You see what I'm saying? I see. 
Um, so I don't know. I, um, John Schlesinger's direction. He's the director here. He did Midnight Cowboy and okay. uh, Marathon Man. He has some stylish moments, but um, and again, like the whole that whole scene in the hotel is really neat. Uh, yeah. When Melanie Griffith is doing all those things, um, I I don't know. I just there was a certain kind of logic that I think that the screenwriter wasn't fully practicing with this story that just didn't really connect with me. Like I, I could watch it and I was very entertained, not completely as a good movie. I was kind <laughs> of en- enjoying it as kind of a bad movie, to be honest. Huh. But, um, but I still, I had fun with it. I could tell the actors were having a good time. Uh, I'm trying to think of any, some more things to say about it. I was, I was just thinking of ways they could have made it worse with Michael Keaton, like trying to seduce the wife. And then, like, while he, like, behind closed doors, when Matthew Modine's trying to evict him, being like, ha 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 ha, I'll get the house soon, and they'll be at my mercy. <laughs> because he barely, he, he does, he barely even smiles in this film. Mm, I, he he's very smile. low key. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael Keaton is super low key in it. Like, he. And he's not like looking sideways out of his eyes or or hamming it up at all. No, no, not, no, no. That, he's that, doing that, the that opposite. Credit to him. No, no. Like yeah. I said, he's basically like how, you know he just came off of Batman, and I kind of felt like he t- kind of took that same sort of presence that he brought to that movie in here. So he's fine. I mean, you know, I, I have nothing to with him. I just I found that Matthew Modine, both his character and his performance, were just so over the top. Like, all those scenes of him yelling at the phone. He's like, I don't know what the fuck you're doing! It's like, oh, you're, God, shut up. You're so obnoxious. Yeah, I know. Like, I'm not rooting for you. Right, like, and I wasn't part of the problem. And that's the thing, I wasn't rooting for, for, for them either. <laughs> but I felt that they suffered enough. That it that I so could get on words, their side by the middle of the so movie. So in other words, it did what Funny Games, like the whole thing with that movie, had a problem with. Yes. Okay, that's a good way to put it. Um. All right. All right, we're out of time. Whew. You might get more out of it from a second viewing. Uh, maybe someday. I don't know. There was an element to it that was like a trashy TV movie to me. <laughs> I don't know. With with better acting, of course, but. You know, actually, Beverly D'Angelo had a really interesting part in it, too. All right, so we're going to move on, and uh, our next segment is about Ingrid Bergman. Climb the sing, it don't worry me. It don't worry me. You may say I'm free. It don't worry me. Am I? Don't. It don't worry me. You say, free. It's not gonna worry me. Rice bread me every song. It don't worry me. Tax relief me never come. It don't worry me. Because. Come on, I need you. Come on. My spirit. They can be. You may say I'm free. It don't worry me. Oh, it don't. 